All right. What did you notice about empathy and especially becoming skillful about empathy? Yeah. Attention, paying attention helps. You're exactly right. Okay, person in the back. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'm trying to practice what you're preaching. <laughs> but you're right. You are right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, good. No, that's so true. It's really true. Uh, interrupting is, so, you know, some of these people talk, you know, it's okay to interrupt, go back and forth, and people have different styles. But if it's important, sometimes it's best to go to more of a pure form, like I said earlier, with nonviolent communication, where you don't interrupt. And studies have shown that men tend to interrupt women much more than in women interrupt men. So, you know, I think that's worth just noticing. That said, my wife and daughter are terrible interrupters. And my son and I have really noticed that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm going to be, I know, I think about that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's right. No, it's okay, it's okay. All right, other people? Other people? What have you learned about being empathic? Yeah? <clears throat> <coughs> what? Humility? Being able to shut, shut out the voices inside that sort of say, oh yeah, yeah, I know that situation, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 shut up, just listen, just focus. Yeah. And in, in the discussion that we had, I ended up with much um, better feelings listening at the person's view of the situation than my brain was telling me about the situation. I thought what the person had in mind was much more uh, re reasonable about the solution. I thought it was a much better solution yeah. than what I, I could come up with. And so all this process goes on. Yeah. And we have to be humble and be able to put it to silence. Wonderful. Thank you. So good. So true. Yeah, please. That's great. That's great. Um, I have a theory that um, with one prescription, uh, one could cut the divorce rate between men and women uh, in half. And uh, half of the prescription is to ask three questions in a row every day. You know, uh, not, did you get my shirts? <laughs> or did you? Change the tire, you know, more like, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, uh, what was it like for you that? Or could you say more about that? You know, three questions in a row. Um, so to me, that's half the prescription to really, really cut the divorce rate in half. The other half, making love twice a week. About, or more, whatever, but about that, about that, obviously, with a very, very good foundation of communication and teamwork and safety and trust, da-da-da-da-da, but if you think about it, those two, three questions in a row every day, you know, the obvious is men to women, but also the other way, too, 
Um, and then, you know, lovemaking's good for relationships. All right, maybe one more? Yeah. I think we, uh, we failed miserably, but it was great. <laughs> he was an educational uh, failure. Our, uh, our situations were so unbelievably similar. If we could, I mean, just incredibly so. Uh, Synchronicity, the right time. Ah, okay. <laughs> but, okay, sometimes actually similarity gets in the way of empathy, if I'm following you right. Because then we think we know. You know, we jump in, and well, you don't, or you, you knew most of it, but there's a critical detail. Right? Yeah, okay. That's great. There's a not knowing. You know, in, in effect, one of the things listed there, how empathy fits into Buddhist practice, is that it's a great expression of um, non-attachment to view, right? The four great objects of attachment that lead to suffering are um, to sense pleasure, which includes the ending of pain, to routines, rites and rituals, but the modern version of that is routines. That's a very interesting way to think about it, routines, schedules, predictability, you know, how the dishwasher is loaded, right? That's the second object of attachment that leads to suffering. The third is, of course, to self, to the I, right? And the fourth object of attachment is view. That's good. So empathy is a wonderful opportunity to cast loose from the familiar moorings, right, and go out into the deep end of the pool with that other person. Yeah. Okay, any last thing? Yeah, I'll back, David. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, thanks. Um, that's a, yeah, that's good. And sometimes we don't um, express empathy, but it's in our eyes, it's in our conduct, it's in our energy field, mysteriously, you know, and the other person still feels felt. That said, sometimes it's helpful to express empathy. One of the things I've learned along the way is that often when you have an empathy conversation, you don't need to have a problem-solving conversation. And some of the interesting research on gender differences in communicating, which can also apply across genders too, the other way, but whatever, it's to, one of the things that's skillful is to acknowledge when you're doing empathy talk and when you're doing policy talk. Because sometimes person A thinks this is a problem-solving conversation. And the other person thinks this is a relational, joining, empathic attunement conversation. You see, and both people get frustrated and disappointed. So that's, that's why I think it helps to name it. And uh, in particular for myself, I, after our kids came along, I developed this little mantra, start by joining. Because I realized that starting with that empathic, attuned, connected stance was a great foundation. Sometimes that was, often that was all it took. But if we needed to move on to a more detached, analytic, objective, bird's eye view, problem solving conversation, it was gonna go a lot better if we started by joining. And I think that's true in general, yeah. Entering conversation 
fresh eye phenomenon where encounter the person for right. the first time and, and you are That's great. Present. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it does help with the empathy exchange. Great. That's great. Thank you. You know the joke about men and women getting married? Yeah, there are many. But well, there are many. There are many. One of them is um, when men and women get married, uh, very, usually the man thinks that his wife will uh, stay the same and the woman thinks that her husband will change. <laughs> and both are usually disappointed. <laughs> anyway, okay. How about the next slide? A little practical thing on empathy, reflections on empathy, yeah. Now here we've talked about giving empathy. What about getting empathy? What are the factors, if you will, of receiving empathy from others, you know, so that uh, we, are, we become more of an us to, to, to them? Um, obviously, we're more likely to get empathy if we're open ourselves, if we're heartfelt, if we speak from the heart. Um, a cue under the general heading of embodied cognition is to soften the eyes, soften the throat, soften the heart. When the heart area is softened and the eyes and the throat and the eyes are softened as well, it's hard not to speak from a deeper level. Okay. Um, as I said earlier, um, Empathy can be negotiated. It becomes one more topic of negotiation in a relationship. So anything about asking for more empathy from a partner? I'll say something from the trenches a little bit as a, I have scars to show for it too, couples counselor. Um, sometimes people who seem very stone-like or unempathic in a relationship are actually so flooded with the other person and care so deeply about the other person that they can hardly stand it. And so they distance, they really back up, right? Because they feel the other person so keenly. And that's a way to understand, if it's true, of course, but that if it is true, that's a way to understand one's partner that's skillful and accurate and useful. And a way sometimes to help yourself. If you find your, if you're on the receiving end of complaints about not being empathic enough, right? And you know who you are, right? Because your partners have probably told you this. One way to help yourself be more empathic is to first create a sense of distance or boundary, so then you can really feel safe and allow yourself to be really moved by the other person. That makes sense. It's counterintuitive, but it makes sense. Okay, good. All right, great. Now, one more thing. How about we have the Buddha's words on loving kindness, which we'll come back to. I want to call out two words in the whole of that teaching there. This is, a fair, this is the well-known Metta Sutta, which I summarized, although I used the Buddha's original words here. The key phrase, I think, here in this sutta is omitting none. What is that in French? What are the French words for omitting none up there? Yeah, okay, that's it, right there. And so, when you're reflecting on your own loving kindness and this whole us and them, wolf of love, wolf of hate issue, the real question is, can we have the capacity to extend our compassion and our good wishes to all beings, including difficult ones? 
you know, the structure that you're probably aware of if you've ever done any kind of meta practice in Buddhism is to think of five categories of people to extend loving kindness toward. One, benefactors, people who really help us, teachers, um, people who are kind. I would think of a number of people here actually as my benefactors. Patricia, very, very much so. David, who I've met before. Pascal, several other people as well. Forgive me, please, for not naming you right now. You've been benefactors for me. I really appreciate it. Right? Those are benefactors. Another category is, um, and I should go further, you know, I feel all of you really as my benefactors. I mean, which is really a beautiful thing. I've just never thought, had this thought before. You know, to experience a group of people as being a benefactor for you. Like, how great, right? You know, it's enlightened self-interest to feel nurtured by a bunch of people. So I, I appreciate you very much, actually, about you. I want to take a picture of you, if it's okay, before we're done. Just to prove to my daughter that there really were people in Montreal. <laughs> That's my camera over there. I'll go get it in a minute. Okay, the last thing uh, about that is, um, okay, so benefactors, okay? Next group, friend. <clears throat> These are our friends. Sometimes they're mates, sometimes they're children. Could be animal companions, could be just friends. Third, neutral people. People that we don't have particularly pleasant or unpleasant reactions to. It could be people we don't know well, but we work with or live with, or they make our sandwich at the, del at the little shop. Or they could be people far away that we just don't know. We know about them but we don't know them personally. Fourth category, oneself. It's important to give loving kindness to oneself and compassion. We did a practice on that. And then the last category, the difficult person. All right? Standing compassion and loving kindness for the difficult person is good for lots of reasons, including what I've noticed myself, is that when I'm in an upsetting situation with somebody, I don't actually get to peace and freedom about it until I've done two things. Number one, found some quality of compassion and good wishes for them. That helps me get to peace. Because if I'm still caught in ill will, remember that's one of the three things to work with in terms of wise intention, to give up ill will. All right, if I'm still caught by ill will, I'm stuck. So that's the first thing. The second thing that helps me come to peace is to take maximum personal reasonable responsibility for whatever my part was in the situation. I know if I'm still upset about something, I probably have not taken sufficient responsibility for it somehow. That doesn't mean blame, 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 guilt, guilt, guilt. It just means, huh, how, how was I a cause in the matter? What was my causality in the matter? It's very interesting and powerful that coming to that clarity and honesty about one's own responsibility can really help us feel not so upset any longer in a tough situation. All right, so we have these five categories. It's easy to be compassionate for benefactors. It's pretty easy for friends. Neutral people, pretty easy. Two tough categories, oneself and the difficult person, difficult people, right? Well, that's therefore a very, very important area to work on, you know, having loving kindness and compassion for those. So what I'd like to do in the last few minutes here is to a practice with you of kind of loving kindness that expands to include the entire world. Then I think we'll have our official end. Uh, I'll stick around for a while and very happily talk with people. Is it correct, Pascal, that there are no further announcements to make? What? Is that correct? No further announcements? No. No more announcements? 
Oh, okay, good. Okay, good. So we'll do the semi-official end, but we'll stick around. So will you allow me to take your photograph? Yeah. Are you sure? Okay, you can duck your head if you want. We don't need bags. Put over your head. This will be fine for me. Now you know I'm a tourist, right? <laughs> Rick, do you want to be in the picture? Oh, this will be perfect. No, that's great. Thank you, though. I say pictures of me in this seat, but I don't have this. Come on, what's going on here? Uh, bear with me, silly stuff. Okay. Sorry, big pardon. Good. There's always a little button, isn't there? Okay. All right. Do you have like a thing you say in French, like cheese or happy? Everybody will say meta. One, two, three, meta. Thank you. Okay. Enough of my silliness. Okay, so let's do a final practice here, and I apologize for running probably five or ten minutes late, Matt. Okay. So. Get comfortable. <laughs> if you can, find a basic sense of well-being, even happiness. The Buddha talked a lot about gladdening the heart. One of my friends and a teacher teaches a wonderful course called Awakening Joy. Right? Gladdening the heart. So it's okay, it's good to gladden the heart. That's the phrase of the Buddha. Not with straining, but with opening. So bring to mind someone that it's easy to experience kindness and compassion for. See if you can extend that to lots and lots of other beings. That you naturally have kindness and compassion for. You wish them well. could explore a sense of kindness and compassion that fills this entire room. And then expanding beyond this room, a widening circle of kindness and compassion includes all of Montreal. <coughs> it includes your friends, and benefactors. The circle includes neutral people and yourself. 
and the circle of us includes people who are difficult for you. Wishing them well. You might say phrases in your mind like, may you not suffer. May you be at peace. May you be truly happy. And then experimenting with expanding the circle of us that you have goodwill for to include all of Canada. Maybe thinking about particular people you know in Canada. Some friends, some difficult, some neutral, some benefactors, and yourself. As well as people that you don't know in Canada, but if you did, you would find them to be perhaps a friend or perhaps difficult. And having compassion and goodwill for them as well, omitting none. Omitting none from your heart, setting no one outside your heart. Widening the circle further to include the entire world. known and unknown. Great or small. A child in China laughing. Someone giving birth in Russia. An old man dying in Los Angeles. Exploring what it's like to hold all beings in your heart, omitting none. Human and not human. All beings on the land, in the water, in the air. 
so that all young are us. All beings are our clan. All life are relatives. In this moment, may there be a knowing of your own good heart. An opening to your own good heart and confidence in your own goodness. Never forget your own goodness and what a difference it can make in this world. Thank you so much. That's been very, very generous. And uh, we would like, just before we let you go, to uh, do this little uh, draw of uh, one of the tickets from today. So somebody will go back home with uh, And that's our lovely.